electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Momentum for the Bulls. Do they finally have it? And if so, where can it really take stocks from here? We discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Rob Seachin. With me right here on set is Jenny Harrington. I'll take you to the wall, show you the markets at 12 noon in the east. Coming off the best day since June 24th, we've got a nice little reversal here. Because we were negative early on, we're positive now. Dow's trying to get to a triple-digit gain for the day. It's good for a quarter of, of a percent, 31,914. S&P 500 trying to get to a 1% gain today, 39.68. NASDAQ, the outperformer, 11,916. So back above 11.9, is the 10-year yield. We've repaired some technical damage, Jenny, right? We got all three of the majors above their 50-day moving average for the first time since April. You've got Bitcoin at fresh highs since mid-June. Is there momentum for the bulls? Can it last? I think it can last. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is magnitude and, and the nuance of can it last. So when I say I think it can last, this does not mean I think that we're going to ricochet off the bottom. I don't think we're in the land of what, what do they call it, like alphabet-shaped recoveries, K-shapes, V-shapes. I think we might bump along and I think we'll build, but I think it can last. So when I say that, I think, you know, if we're up 6% from here, 5%? Fantastic. Do I think we could float back down a little bit? Yeah, but I do think the worst is probably probably behind us. You've been one of the more optimistic than, than most mm-hmm. um, on the panel. And, you know, the, this newfound momentum is ba- maybe built on that maybe things are not as bad as we thought. I think that's exactly Earnings right. aren't, they're not great, but they're certainly not blowing up in our face like the worst of the projections thought they might thus far. A long way to go. And so I think it's interesting because I come at that with a purely fundamental perspective, right? I'm not a technician. I don't understand charts. I don't look at charts. But the reason that I turned a little bit more positive about a month ago, almost exactly, right, middle of June when we hit that down 24%, was because I was looking at the market and I was saying to myself things like American Eagle that I bought in my portfolio. That... I thought had wildly over discounted how bad the consumer was going to get. You had a stock that was trading at six times earnings that had already announced that it lowered their earnings from a from $3 a share to $2 a share. And the stock was, you know, was down, what, from 38 to like 12 at that point. And you see those kinds of things and you think, okay, a lot of information's in the stocks, a lot of information's in the market. We have something to build on from here. So looking at both the individual stocks and the market back then trading at 15 and a half-ish times, doing the work of having traded down from 21 times, it just seemed to me like a lot of bad news was in it. So yeah, as we hear these earnings expectations, or earnings reports that are not as bad as expected, we have something to grow from and build and build from. You feeling a little more bullish, Joe? Is this really something to build on what has been described as a tradable bounce by so many people on this program in recent weeks? Uh, of, cor- of course I am. I mean, I've been talking about that for the last three days. 
um, long the queues at a very nice level at 292, which is where the 50-day moving average was uh, for that uh, ETF. So I do think you've got positive momentum in the market right now. I think you're in this quiet period where the Federal Reserve can't speak. We're waiting for next week. You're coming up on some very big technology earnings. The market has already de-risked in an environment of extreme pessimism. So now what you're doing is you're rebuilding some positions. You're taking the S&P back towards a significant price gap that exists between 39.74 and 40.17. That's from the June Inflation Friday day when the market declined significantly. So momentum for the very first time is back on the sides of the bulls and I'm positioned accordingly. Last point on that, though, your time horizon has to be short. I don't see how you could lengthen the time horizon here and uh, suspect that you've got anything more than, as you said, a tradable bounce. You sort of blew through the uh, I have the cues. I mean, that's new. It's a new buy into the cues uh, on Tuesday morning. No, it's so. Yes. So what, what happened was on Monday on the show, we discussed that the potential for markets to carry higher Scott, I don't think that you can utilize technicals to lead you out of the market. And then when technicals are suggesting returning to the market, you ignore them. Um, We had the leading indication from the NASDAQ. The S&P obviously followed there. But Monday, you basically got a gift. The Apple News provided you a tremendous opportunity. And let's keep something in mind. On Monday, when you had the late day reversal, The intraday low for the S&P never broke below Friday's low. So now, as a trader, you have an unbelievably well-defined point of reference to work against. That evening, the market didn't carry forward with any negativity. In fact, you saw futures built higher and higher. So I went in initially with a futures position overnight. I rolled that into uh, ownership of the queues early in the morning. And it's an extremely low-risk trade for me. I'm not going to turn it into a losing trade, and I'm going to see where markets take us from Under, here. Understood. Um, but let's also remind people of what you told me yesterday in overtime, that you bought Goldman Sachs. It's emblematic of your very near-term view of the market. And, and, and what I was saying with Jenny, less bad earnings than feared, right? Goldman does well. You feel confident enough to buy that stock. And just remind people on this show, who might not have heard you in OT, of why you decided to buy Goldman. I think volatility remains high uh, in in the the environment of 2022, regardless of which way the market is ultimately going to go. And both for Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs and and others like Citi, fixed income trading has been very strong. Overall, FIC trading for Goldman Sachs was actually absolutely phenomenal. Goldman Sachs is a position that I've talked about for the better part of the last couple of years. I owned it. I was out of it in April. I didn't like the earnings report. I got out. Uh, at around 3.35. So I'm back into Goldman Sachs from yesterday morning on the understanding that the trading environment is going to be a very strong one. Volatility is going to remain high. And I think the last point on that, Scott, Mm -hmm. is I I think overall we've priced in so much to this market. The only thing we really haven't priced in is that apocalyptic type of deep recession. That's not priced into the market, and I don't think that's actually going to happen. So, Seats, it brings me to you. Uh, Bank of America says the 90% update yesterday confirms the rally, right? That the bullish breath day, uh, and there was good breath yesterday in the market, uh, is a sign that the summer rebound for U.S. equities can, in fact, continue. The, The question really boils down to this. Is this a rally that you should sell, or is this a rally that you should buy into? 
What's your answer? I think we continue to believe it's a rally you should sell. Um, it's going to be fairly short-lived. There is no change in direction for liquidity. The Fed will continue to tighten policy, which removes liquidity from markets, and liquidity drives multiples. And as it tightens, with the Fed unlikely to, uh, to pivot, especially with the news out of Russia, given inflation and equity and credit rallies that we've seen, it emboldens the Fed to be more active. I do think we could run to the 100-day moving average. That, that's a possibility. We're sitting at the 50-day moving average on these three indexes, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the S&P move towards 4,100, at which point, and this is a big if, if earnings hold up, at 2.30, we'd be at 18 times earnings, which is where we traded, Scott, in late 2019 when the Fed was actively cutting rates. I think it's also important to know that we're coming on the back of Goldilocks data last week. And some of that data is really centered around gas prices easing. And let's remember that they can tighten at any point in time. So those inflation expectations can continue to rise. When we look at bottoms, they're usually determined ex post, right? You don't know them until you're already through them. And when what we see in a bottom, it's why yesterday was constructive. And I kind of agree that we could have an intermittent, intermittent bounce here. Small cap relative outperformance, mm -hmm. cyclical outperformance versus defensive, consumer versus discretionary versus staples, semis versus software. We saw what looked like the infancy of a, of a bounce but we were missing the the kind of fervor behind it. You didn't see that big upside volatility on the bounce. That yeah, urgency 90%, of so You still so, had a 90% um, up day. And, and the question is, um, even some of those who have been looking for a, a pullback in, in the near term, even if you're bullish you know, for the second half of, of the year mm -hmm. later on in it, those who were looking for a pullback into the end of, of this <clears> month like Fundstrat's Mark Newton, are coming around to the idea that maybe the lows were in, and he has been suggesting otherwise. I want you to listen to what he told me in overtime, how he was surprised by the move that we've had, and that it, it in fact might mean the lows are in. Listen. There's a lot of uncertainty as to whether stocks need to make one final low or not, and, and I think today's move makes me a little less certain that that needs to happen. Uh, my second half forecast was for the S&P to really recover a lot of its losses. So to be clear, you know, my, my target initially was for the S&P to get to 38.15 in June and then reverse and move higher throughout the second half. But yes, I did actually expect that we could have a, uh, you know, a final pullback that would test, if not undercut those lows. Now he's not so sure. Right. So what? Okay, sorry. Hold on, Rob, Jenny. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So I think this is why it's really careful, uh, really dangerous, rather, to carefully wait for a big pullback or to say, do you buy this rally or do you sell this rally? If you're a long-term investor like me, you know what you do? You sit tight, you twiddle your thumbs, and you wait it out. And this is something we've been talking about a lot. What if the S&P goes to 3,000? Yeah, we back up the truck and buy. What if it doesn't? If it doesn't, are you just going to sit there missing out and missing out on the tremendous individual opportunities that have been created? So I think it's really, you know, what else, Scott? Remember last week when I was on, we were talking about the bombshell report from B of A where they, where they dramatically lowered their estimates? Right, that was Savita. Who, right. she, she took down her, her target. Uh, she took down her earnings expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the rally happened. Right. And I remember when. That was um, Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember so, when, uh, what is it, Eric Johnston from, from Cantor, who called for this, you know, we're going to have this 
big rally. We didn't get it. And he quickly reversed. I mean, people are gun shy to make big calls or to feel like things are actually maybe OK. And this and I think to get this, on Jim Labenthal's that's exactly side of the boat. Because Jim's really smart, because what Jim knows is that the long term trend is upward and that the safe bet is just to stay put. Right. The long term trend is not to deteriorate. You also know if you and we talked about this last week, but if you miss what is it like the 10 best days of the market, how bad your returns are. We all know that there's a huge divergence between the individual return over the past 20 years. This is JP Morgan data, but like the individual has a 2.9 percent return. The S&P has a nine point something return over the last 20 years. And the difference is emotions. And you're not going to get the timing right. This, if, if, if B of A isn't getting the timing right, you individuals aren't. I'm not. Well, so you just stay put. Keep your wits about you. Buy individual stocks as they come in, into focus. You know, it makes me come back on. to to you, Rob. I'm curious as to what you think about, you know, the capitulation, if you want to call it that, at, at least in, in some part from a, a Mark Newton, right, who says, OK, maybe you don't have to go test or, or breach those lows of June um, earnings, which, you know, the commentary around earnings before the reports came out was going to be horrible. You may get low single-digit earnings growth. Maybe you even have an earnings recession. Well, the banks would suggest otherwise. They told you that things are okay right now, uncertain in the future, but what isn't? And then you've got Netflix, right, which is, yes, they lost a million subs, half as many as the street was looking for. That was also not as bad as expected. And then there's Apple, which the technicians and the fundamentalists uh, are looking at and saying maybe that is one of the more important signs that we need to keep our eye on, and maybe it's not just a tradable rally. Yeah, listen, this is the, the reason, as Jenny points out, as I think most panelists on this show point out, that you have to stay invested, but it's invested with context, right? And I think when you get these, you know, what we call tradable rallies where there's a sell off and it creates idiosyncratic opportunity in stocks, you're a buyer and you're a buyer of those core compounders that do a great job over time. You're a buyer of the apples. You're maybe a buyer of the Salesforce, a buyer of the Microsoft. And the reason is you have to have names in portfolios that you don't have to trade frequently, especially if you you manage individual money. That's really, really important. The other names, and I think this is where we trim those names if you're an owner as markets rally like we have, these are the Kenny Rogers names. They're the, they're the names that you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. They're the high growth names that don't, that need to rely on the liquidity of the market. You get a name like Google that has the moat that it has. It's trading at a 7% premium when it usually trades at a 25% premium to the market. And you can buy it in a defensible way. Um, I think those are the names that you want to buy, just like Jenny's talking about, just like Jim Labenthal's talking about, when markets sell off. See, I think you want to sit on your hands right now or if you need cash, you want to raise that cash right now, because I think this is going to be just like every other rally we've seen until the Fed pivots. Well, and that's one that fails ultimately. OK, because it's a good point. So, Joe, because a, a nice move in stocks, though, while it makes all of us feel better looking at green for several days and you've had a nice recovery and bounce from the lows, it doesn't erase the fact that inflation is still a problem. It doesn't chase the Fed back into its box. 
In fact, it does none of those things. And Morgan Stanley has a note, uh, which which Carl Quintanilla tweeted a few moments ago that I wanted to read to you because it sort of brings this to light. They say, quote, we expect significant pressure on household discretionary spending in the back half of 2022. Inflation is running well above our expectations. The result is a higher proportion of consumers' incomes being spent on necessities. What do they do? They cut estimates. Williams-Sonoma, Best Buy, Lowe's, and Home Depot. So while the likes of a Moynihan or a Diamond or a Solomon suggests that, yeah, the consumer is pretty good right now. Are we taking into consideration enough of what's coming in the next several months? Inflation remains hot. Fed continues to hike. Consumer gets tapped. Those, those are all fair points, and, and that's why the picture has so much static in it right now. And, and I think... I, you know, I, let, let's not extrapolate from what's gone on here in the last three days and, and let's say, OK, that's a March 2009 moment. I, I don't think that's at all what's unfolding in the market. I think the market, as I said one week ago, is going to kind of vacillate on other, either side of 4,000. So if you're a seller here, well, what are you selling exactly in your strategy? I agree with Rob. If you're going to sell hyper growth stocks. Great. No problem with that. What are you reallocating into? So I think it's really about, well, where's positioning? And the the consumer-oriented stocks that you just cited, I think positioning has already extracted a lot of the speculation that was there. That doesn't mean that they're going to experience a V-shaped recovery. That means that it's probably a U, and during that U, you're going to get moments where the market's going to give you a a 5 to 10% rally. And then the market's going to pull back from there. So, again, I go back to this time horizon. I think that it needs to be uh, properly exercised in this environment because I think we're looking for clarity. We're looking for clarity that's just not going to exist for many months. There are some who say that that you guys are all missing the point, right? The ones who refuse to get more bullish. If if Labenthal was sitting here and Jenny is sitting here and she's been – one of the, the, the you know, bigger bulls, I guess, if you want to characterize her as that, that the consumer's great. You guys are missing the boat. Now, Jenny hasn't said it as much as Jim has, but certainly Jim has repeatedly made the point the consumer's great. You all don't know what you're looking at. And by the way, corporate America and CapEx is going to be better than you all think, too. They're building factories, they're building plants, onshoring, onshoring, this, that, and the other thing that the, the, you know, the bears refuse to see because they're just blinded by all the negativity around, Joe. Send them the existing home sales report from this morning. It's at a two-year low. It's down five consecutive months. And you know what the worst part of that is? The median selling price for a home is it at an all-time high at 416. <laughs> That's not a very good formula for residential real estate. So, no, I disagree with that. You're in the middle of an economic contraction. That's clear. A three-month to a 10-year, as the market is recovering, you're, you're not seeing uh, that yield curve steepen. You're actually seeing that yield curve contract further. So maybe the market is kind of responding to a lot of the economic uh, releases that we're getting recently that are seeing the slowing and treating that as good news. Because why? That means the Federal Reserve and their efforts to combat inflation, they're doing what they're supposed to do, which is to weaken and soften demand. That's the objective. The price you pay for combating high inflation is an economic contraction. Tell me how deep that economic contraction is going to be. 
No one ultimately knows. The evidence as we have it right now doesn't say too deep, but you can't avoid that the economy is going to Well, you contract. just don't know. The market, the market if, you, if you want to say that that's the evidence, the market suggests not too deep, right? 20% doesn't suggest too deep of a decline from the highs for the S&P. If you want to go there, then you start to have the predictions of, oh, it's got to go down another 10%, maybe even more. If it's a deep recession, you're going to go down maybe double what you've gone down thus far. That, that's what some say. I'm jumping out of my seat here. So I don't know if you guys can do this, but I sent in a chart earlier that I hope we can put up on the screen. And what if we look at, if we look at recessions, the past two recessions relative to the past 50, 60 years have been incredibly severe, much more than anything in the past. And there's this thing that Daniel Kahneman talked about, availability bias, which means that we subscribe, we ascribe more weight to our recent experiences than, than like what history or, or data would, would show us. So if we think about the recession that we had in 2020, it was extreme. 2009, um, it was extreme. And that's what we're all thinking about. The reality is, if you look at recessions for the past 60 years, they're reasonably shallow. And I think this is where the fear is coming from, is that everyone's thinking, oh, we're going to have what we just had. One other thing that Joe's talking about here, and when we talk about Jim being positive on the consumer, I think it's I think there's an important caveat, which is relative to expectations. So we're talking about inflation. Inflation's bad, but I think it's getting better relative to expectations. The consumer is weaker than weaker than we were, they were, but it, I think the consumer is showing up to be better than expectations, more robust than expectations. This is this thus is, far. Thus far, but don't forget, our job is to look out six to twelve months. That's what our job is. Maybe longer. I mean, I try to buy stocks and hope for a three to sure, five. Sure, but everybody time looks out the six to nine months that you're talking about, and you can still come away with different conclusions. Hundred yeah. percent, and that's what makes the market, and that's what makes this conversation fun. Rob, real quick, wrap it up. I mean expectations. What about earnings expectations, which haven't come in? Not at all. So, uh, yes, there's consumer. There's all types of business expectations, consumer expectations. What about earnings expectations, which are still elevated? Not only did let's use technology, which is probably the most important part of the market right now. To your point at the beginning of the show, Scott, they're up. They're up in an environment of dollar strength when technology has a very high exposure to international earnings. I think the highest in the S&P. So if earnings haven't come in, not a bit, and they come in, you know, lower than expectations, that is certainly not going to be a positive. And I would argue that the consumer is under enormous pressure right now. You see that in credit cards. You saw that in the bank earnings. Big ticket purchases mm -hmm. are down. Consumers are using their credit cards to, uh, to expand their purchasing power Absolutely. because they have jobs. What happens when the jobs market starts to come in just as the Fed wants it to come in? You know, we've got to pay Scott, attention to those things. I am not a bear by any means, yeah. but I can tell you that there is interim volatility coming out of this, and it's going to, again, I got you. We won't Joe, know the bottom until it's passed. Joe, if you want to make a point, volatility. if you want to make a point, do it real quick because I already wanted to go to break. Go ahead. Real quick, you you want to look forward on the state of the consumer? Does anyone think 2022 is going to be a strong holiday season? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Tesla gearing up to report earnings after the bell. Shares are higher ahead of those results. We'll tell you what you need to watch next from our expert. Halftime's back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Analysts expect a healthy profit thanks to strong pricing and demand when Tesla reports earnings after the bell today in overtime, of course. Phil LeBeau joins us now with a preview. Of course, I will see you when the numbers actually hit and what the stock does. But what are your expectations here? Well, look, we know it's going to be a profitable quarter. That's really not the question here, unless it's wildly uh, off from where the analyst expectations are. It's the number within the number, Scott. We talk about this every quarter, automotive gross margins. X zero emission credits. That's the important part, that X zero emission credits. The analysts are expecting to come in around 28.2. Remember last quarter, it was over 30%. One reason why the stock popped on earnings day. What's going on with Austin and Berlin, the new gigafactories? Remember Elon Musk a few weeks ago said they're like furnaces burning money, billions of dollars. Uh, that has people a little spooked about what we might see in terms of what they're seeing at those two factories. And then China production and demand. Remember, you had the COVID lockdowns in Shanghai. That limited production. We saw the Q2 delivery numbers. And in terms of those deliveries coming in lower than what people were previously expecting, they brought them down during the quarter. For the first half, they delivered 559,000 vehicles. But the full-year consensus in terms of deliveries still stands at greater than 1.4 million. So the expectation on Wall Street is there, yeah, Q2, we knew it was a problem because of China, but we're going to see production ramp up and deliveries ramp up in the second half of this year. Don't forget, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, the call uh, coming at 5.30 tonight. Is Elon Musk on the call? And if he is, first of all, I don't expect him to talk about Twitter at all. Second of all, if he is on there, how detailed does he get about what they're seeing in terms of the cost pressures that they're seeing in Austin and in Berlin. That will really be in focus tonight. The consumer demand, too, remains a question mark. After he himself said months ago, super bad feeling about the economy, that sort of sure. grazed the area of what their, you know, forget yep. their delivery numbers, their actual sales numbers are, are, are going to ultimately be this year. Right. But that's the interesting thing, Scott. Analysts have not brought down their full year consensus. They still expect 
a healthy, very healthy increase in production in the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter. You know, after what we saw in China and some of those comments from Elon Musk, there was some concern. Look, are they going to have to bring down, you know, or analysts going to have to bring down uh, their expectation in terms of deliveries? And I just looked up what the consensus is in terms of average selling price. We've talked about this, not just with Tesla, but all automakers. They've got pricing power right now. It's expected to increase up to $53,700 average for all of their vehicles, Model 3 and Model Y, those are the ones that people will be focused on. Uh, both of those are expected to see an increase in average selling price. So we'll see once we get those numbers in. I'll see you at, at overtime, Phil. Uh, when it Sounds all happens, good. I'll look forward to that. That's Phil LeBeau. You know, Joe, I, I wonder, and someone raised this issue, um, I think a guest on Tech Check as I was watching it a little bit earlier in, in prep for our show, who brought up a good point, I think, of the investor class around Tesla and what that might mean for, let's say, the next six months at least of where the stock goes from here. Given the market upset, the significant retail investor presence in the past in the stock, and if that is dissipating or goes away, how much of a hamper that puts on shares, which, by the way, in the last 52 weeks were above 1200 bucks, which are sitting north of 700 which this gentleman suggested were really worth 400 Yeah, I think right now Tesla is basically in a sideways consolidation phase. Um, I know the, the price targets on this stock are closer to 1,000. I think there's a lot of extreme um, expectations that markets recover, Tesla recovers accordingly. I think the downside is somewhat buffered by a lot of not only retail interest, but institutional interest. But the reason I say this is really uh, is, is in this consolidation phase is it goes back to this kind of static environment overall for the market. And Tesla clearly is, is squarely in the middle of that. Think about hearing this morning on Squawk Box uh, where the transportation secretary spoke about wanting lower pricing for EVs. Think about the production numbers potentially coming out of China. We don't know ultimately what they're going to be. So I don't see any visibility surrounding Tesla. And then quite candidly, is there going to be some form of fallout, some form of financial impact on the company as a result of what might unfold in that well, Delaware court? I'm thinking of that, Twitter? too. Literally, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, OK, there's the breakup fee, billion dollars. But what happens if there's yeah. a ruling that puts that number significantly higher for someone who's not so liquid, who needs to sell more Tesla shares to come up with the potential of having to pay more money. Is that a legitimate risk? Of course it is. I mean, let's not forget about the sales that have already happened in part to fund part of the alleged purchase. I don't know how many you <laughs> want to offer. I don't know. We'll see. All right. We're hitting the committee's latest portfolio moves next. But first, a check on the S&P sector heat map. I'll take you to the wall, show you what's going on today. Discretionary is leading the way today. Uh, technology, another good day as the NASDAQ is now up better than 200 points, 11,919. We're back after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. Let's go through some of the moves that you all are making to, uh, today and in the days uh, around here. Monday, Joe, you sold Bungie. You suggested to our viewers that you needed to reduce your agriculture exposure, in which you apparently have, by getting rid of BG. And you bought EOG, which you have owned in the past. I have. So it's, it's basically a rotation uh, within the commodity space, less agriculture, more energy. I think if you look forward, that's the right move to be making. You've had over the last year four times where the XLE has declined 10%, April of 21, August of 21, December of 21, and June more recently of 22. In each one of those circumstances, it was a buying opportunity. I see this as being no different. We're coming into a winter supply stressed environment for energy. I wanted to increase that commodity exposure at the expense of agriculture. Got you. Uh, Robert, you bought KLA 10 core in a space that's hotly debated right now. Yeah. And I would say in the space overall, uh, we're not yet yet bullish on the semi space, given the high correlation to GDP and and potential downward pressure. However, we think a good portion of this expected slowdown has been priced into that space, um, given that it's moved down 35 percent. You can start to wade into some of the more defensive semi names, um, those that traded healthy discounts to their historical averages and uh, focus on improving trends like connected devices, 5G. We like the risk reward set up for uh, KLAC, um, increased capital intensity and spending among next-gen manufacturers is a tailwind. Um, we think they're going to maintain their profit margins in the face of a higher input cost and uh, uh, constrained supply chains across the industry. And it's not expensive. It's 13 times next year's earnings, 20% discount to its five-year average. And it has industry-leading margins. Okay. So, uh, like it a lot. I got you. All right, let's bring in Degas right now of Decatur Capital Management. He's been making some moves as well. It's good to have you here. Uh, we missed you today. I'm sorry. Technology uh, shot us in the foot. Uh, but I'm glad you've called in to talk about these moves today that you've made. And there are several. You sold Hilton, and then you bought more Costco, more United Health, more Viva Systems, more IDEX Labs. Tell me about the sale first, and then your favorite of the ones you bought more of. Sounds good, Scott, and I'm glad to be here over the phone with you. So we sold Hilton because there was relative, it has a relative high multiple 
with declining profitability. And what we're seeing is a global slowdown, and that's going to impact Hilton negatively in their revenue and profits. The one we like the most is Costco. Strong consumer value proposition providing discounted goods. As we go into the slowdown of the economy, the consumer will really focus on value. And that's what Costco brings to the table. Great managing of inventory, reasonable valuation, strong profitability, and raising earnings. Hey, tell me about Viva Systems, which I don't think, frankly, that we've talked about before on the program. And maybe we did, but if we did, it was a long time ago. Why this one? Viva System is the leading software platform for medical researchers. And this is actually a growth area. You can think about the CRM for life sciences. And Viva System is the leading in the leader in this category. Plus, we see that this demand will increase. Okay, we'll see that stock uh, ticking up a little bit. I appreciate you calling in, Degas. I hope to see you back on the show sometime soon. That's Degas Wright joining us there. Coming up, dividend stocks. They've been outperforming the broader market this year. A number of them getting ready to report earnings in the next few hours, which means the dividend guru sitting right across from me is very excited about that. And she's going to tell you how to play that next. It's an important night for earnings on two big dividend payers in Jenny Harrington's portfolio, SL Green and Kinder Morgan, both after the bell today, each one yielding more than 6%. This is many popular dividend ETFs are outperforming the S&P year to date, which is why you keep saying, I don't know why y'all are so gloomy. I'm feeling pretty good about my portfolio. I'm a little biased. What about these? SL Green, give me that first. 7.7% yield. It's going to be the more interesting of the two. With respect to the company specifically, it's pretty easy. So these guys own Class A office space in New York City. The stock's actually down 34% this year because everyone's been spooked by return to the office. Meanwhile, they still have 93% occupancy. They still have an average lease term of eight and a half years. And their business is fine. They should earn $6.75 this year, which leaves it trading at seven times earnings. What I think will be most interesting on this call is just the broader commentary. And they're really good about talking broadly about the world, about the market, about about rents, about New York City and what they see. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Um, What about KMI? Six and a half percent yielder. Kinder's easy. These guys own like 70,000 plus miles of pipeline, mostly that transport natural gas around the country. And even though we want to say, oh, it's an energy company, the reality is, is they don't have huge, huge, um, earnings or revenue response to the price of oil or gas. They just transport it. And so this, I think, will be a little bit less of an insight into the economy and the world. I think it'll just be exactly what you expect, you know? I mean, if it's, if it's easy, why is it down 16% in three years? Oh. I, mean, I know it's positive year to date, but energy is yeah, positive. Yeah, I'm like, wait, but, it's up 9% But I mean, if it's, so, if it's so easy, why, why isn't this thing up like, you know, double 50%? Because energy, energy has been out of favor, and that's why there's an opportunity there. And you can go across the board and look at energy stocks, even with them being up 30 plus percent, many of them are still down in that same range. And that's simply money having flowed out of that area and into tech and um, underinvestment in in some areas and overinvestment in other areas, but this is why there's still an opportunity. But this hasn't is- the money hasn't all of the money that's wanted to flow into energy already gone there? I don't think so. I don't think even close. And if you look at the valuations, we're not even close. If you look at the percent of the S&P, if you look at, I mean, really, it's about the valuations, right? They're just trading at a huge discount to to like the multiples are at a huge discount to what the earnings growth should be. 38 times 
is the uh, the PE on this on one? Kinder, right. No, no, you need to look at cash available for distribution, um, and that then it trades at about ten times. I think they've got about a buck seventy of cash available for distribution, about a dollar twenty dividend. So it's really, really well covered. Oh, there it is. 15. But you bring up a, forward. Okay. Yeah, right. and you bring up an important point, which is that you need to look at different sectors on different valuation metrics. Okay. Let's so. get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Uh, thanks very much. Scott, here's the news update at this hour. Olena Zelenska, the First Lady of Ukraine, speaking to members of Congress following a visit with First Lady Jill Biden about her gratitude for the U.S. The Congress and President Biden have already done a lot to help us to stand up to the enemy and protect millions of Ukrainians. We are grateful, really grateful, that the United States stands with us in this fight. The Secret Service was only able to provide a single text exchange to the DHS inspector general who had requested a month's worth of records for 24 Secret Service personnel. The revelation provides insight into the concern raised in a recent letter to Congress by the inspector general who accused the agency of not retaining records needed for the January 6th investigation. And Alex Murdoch, the South Carolina attorney back in court pleading not guilty. Grand jury last week indicted the 54 year old on two counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during the June 2021 killings of his 52-year-old wife, Margaret, and their 22-year-old son, Paul. Halftime returns after this. We are back. I just want to show you the market here. Not exactly sure why. And, uh, you know, the headline hunters are out in full force at the moment to try to figure out if anything has move this market off of, uh, you know, the, the better levels of the session. The Dow is now negative again, down by 56. The S&P uh, is only good for a third of a percent. NASDAQ's been the outperformer, but even it has pulled back a bit uh, as well. No real, you know, great movement in bond yields to do that. Uh, so, Joe, I mean, I guess we're on the case, but you've noted this uh, as well. It's just the kind of market I suppose we're yeah. in. What the market... Uh, Giveth, the market taketh away pretty quickly. I think we've learned our lesson there. N nonetheless, there are a number of stocks hit, are at least approaching 52-week highs today in your universe, Joe. Amgen, Merck, United Health. Yeah, healthcare names. I'm sorry, I'm looking down. I'm scouring to try and see what's going on. Hey, Ten you years and at else. the highs of the day at 303. Yeah, the 10-year at the high at uh, 303 for the day. But listen, in terms of, of, of health care, it came into 2022 at such a significant valuation discount. It made sense just taking the opportunity that was being provided there. It was nearly a, a three-decade wide valuation discount of 20%. So you took advantage of the opportunity. These are stocks that are 52-week highs. Just because they're at 52-week highs does not mean that you sell them. You stay with these stocks in a very staticky type of environment. You understand that the path uh, the, the journey is not going to be one that's going to be a smooth ride yeah. because they're going to provide you, as I've said before, that offense and that defense, that balance. So I would stay with these names, even in an environment where it looks like the growth strategy is overwhelming hey. the market once again and carrying it higher. Hey, Joe, yeah. for, forgive me for interrupting you. Um, some people are passing around a headline that suggests it's from the information, by the way, that Google says that it will pause hiring uh, for two weeks after saying last week that it would slow the pace of hiring for the remainder of the year. It's not like Alphabet shares have totally gone negative, but you can see the, the pullback in those shares is probably having something to do 
uh, residually with the impact on the NASDAQ itself pulling off of its uh, best levels of the day is certainly we wonder about what the state of hiring is uh, as it relates to tech, uh, big tech especially. Uh, we'll have more on that. Mike Santoli is following that as well, and he will join us with his midday word next. Your markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. Is, is this it? Is this the, the Google headline that is now being widely passed around, uh, Mike, the thing that the market is fixated on for the second? I think that was the uh, maybe the feather that sort of pushed it over, given the market was, you know, up at a level uh, after this rally we've seen from the Thursday lows. That was kind of in the target zone for very, very short term traders. The S&P 500 is sort of the highs from earlier in June, like June 10th or something like that. So the market's been kind of hustling to its next test is the way I would think about it. We got above that one month range crossed above 50-day average. So if you're an index trader, what's the next uh, kind of break point? And so I do think we were just about there uh, when you got the, the, the alphabet headline. Now, I'm not sure if that really changes the macro picture, but it's enough. Also, you know, the yields have been, been marching higher in the last couple of days. We've been compatible with a more of a risk-seeking type equity market. But the ten, two-year above 3.2 again, all of a sudden starts to make you think about, uh, you know, did, are we talking about the Fed uh, almost done or not? So all that stuff together is uh, is in a market that, by the way, was like a lot of low quality leadership uh, and some of the most beaten down beta uh, was, was performing. Don't think it changes the overall story. The rallies won, I think, some adherence that it could be more for real, just how broad it was uh, the last couple of days. But uh, that's the way I see it at the moment. I mean, you do want the market, if you're a, a bull, to be able to, in a sense, overcome a negative headline. It can overcome an earnings report that wasn't perfect it can overcome a headline that appears worrisome at the moment, and it can somehow get beyond that, too. Yeah, sure. Um, it usually, you know, it's, it's not like it doesn't flinch, but how does it, uh, you know, th- do you have a deep pullback or does it just kind of isolate uh, the potential uh, the potential damage in, in tech or in, uh, in Google itself. Obviously, that's what you want. Uh, I still think the market is a show-me story, and everyone believes that. I mean, there's been a real good muscle memory in this market of selling, you know, 8 to 10% rallies. And so you're probably going to have another attempt at that. If we get there, S&P 4000 is one, uh, is one area that you're probably going to bring some of that out, and it probably would have to be absorbed. I'll see you for your last word in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli joining us from the Stock Exchange. By the way, Kramer on this headline says, you want wage inflation to go away to get the Fed to stop raising rates? You need more, quote unquote, pause hiring statements so that job hopping ends. So Kramer's watching this like everybody else too. Final trades are next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. I will see you in a few hours, as usual, on overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern time. We have Tesla earnings, as we've already told you. So my man Phil LeBeau will be breaking that. We'll have the stock reaction. United Airlines comes out. Las Vegas Sands. We're all over both of those. Adam Parker will be with me, along with our very own Josh Brown. So I look forward to seeing you all in a few hours. Let's do final trades. Jenny Harrington, you. In the house right here, up first. One of my mentors, who is a brilliant international investor, once told me, one bets against the U.S. at one's own peril. So I will extrapolate that to one bets against the U.S. consumer at one's own peril. And I'll give you Foot Locker, a 5.9% yield, trading at about six times earnings. All right. Thank you. Rob Seachin. Uh, Vertex Pharmaceuticals, we like health care. Um, it's the cheapest of the defensives. 
uh, versus utilities and staples. Vertex is a high-quality pharma name uh, with great growth and a profitability profile that's attractive, and its pipeline is incredibly robust. A little expensive to the sector, but we still like it. All right, and finally, Joe, what do you got for us? Second derivative trade on a recovering equities market is to buy an asset manager, and BlackRock would be the name I would buy. Okay. Uh, Larry Fink, by the way, is going to be on Mad Money uh, with Jim Cramer tonight. Of course, the new set down at the Stock Exchange. How uh, fantastic that is. So there he is, and don't miss him with Jim a little bit later. That does it for us. I, of course, will see you in overtime with those Tesla numbers. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.